Wonderful time of worship, church. Thank you, band, and leading us in that. As I mentioned to you just a little bit ago, we start out on the book of Philippians today. And I love what Walter just prayed there because he talked about the joy. That is a massive theme through the book of Philippians. And so as we are starting out this new year and we're moving into to continuing on the mission that God has for us, I want us to see what the Apostle Paul has to say to us from the book of Philippians. So we're going to be in Philippians probably for the, the next two months. Don't, don't worry about that. It's going to be great. It's going to be awesome. There, there's so much rich truths in this book that we are studying over this period of time. I want to say Happy New Year to you, church. Everybody have a good holiday. I hope you did. I had a wonderful time with family, and I pray that you did as well, and friends. And uh, I, I'm really, really excited for this new year. I'm really excited for where the Lord is taking us. I'm really excited about what God is doing in the other congregations in this community. And I really believe that God is about to do some incredible things in this community because of the churches that he has here. And I'm so thankful that God can use us here at Holmes Avenue. And I pray that you are too. As we're, as we're going into the book of Philippians today, I want to give you just a little bit of a, a backstory just to kind of set us up where we are. The book of Philippians, it's Paul writing to the church at Philippi. We're going to see here in just a moment that it's him and Timothy, and they're writing to this church, and they're, they're encouraging them. Um, the, the church at Philippi, uh, this book is, is written from Paul while he's in prison. And we know that this is one of the, the this actually is the first church that Paul uh, plants. And we can see through the book of Acts and, and 16, especially when he's in Europe, um, this, this book is uh, it's written to these for encouragement, to, to encourage the believers to continue to press forward in the gospel, to persevere no matter sufferings, no matter hardships that they face, to continue to press forward on the mission that God's called them to. And, and I think that is very fitting for us as a congregation to be able to see these themes as we're moving forward, as we continue to press forward on the mission that God would have for us. Now, this book, as is much of Paul's writing, it is centralized on the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's centralized on that. Matter of fact, in this book, kind of the key verse that Paul is using, his theme, if you will, the thesis of the book of Philippians, is found in chapter 127 that we're going to look at in depth next week. But I want to read the verse to you to start out. It says, Only let your manner of life be worthy for the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come to see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. That is a major prayer of mine for our church moving forward. That we, as we are on this mission, that we would strive forward side by side for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that as we are engaging the people in our community and we're engaging the people in our families and our neighbors and our friends, the centrality of the gospel is present. We are focused on that. We are leading in that charge. We are seeking to glorify God and, and share the gospel with people. And we do it side by side, striving for this faith in the gospel. The book of Philippians also, you're going to see there are many, many verses that we're going to encounter in this book that are kind of what people use as life verses. You're going to see one this morning that you're going to say, oh yeah, I've heard that time and time again. There's several verses in this book that you can hear people quote all the time. 
And, and those are great, and they're powerful verses, and they can be used as life verses and all those things. But I'm so excited for us to see the context of why those verses are being written. And we're going to see one in just a moment that's in verse 6. So this complete work that we're going to look at today uh, and over the next several weeks, we're going to see how Paul, in his writing of that, and why he specifically said that. So I hope you're excited about that. Specifically today, Paul is opening this letter in a way that he opens a lot of his epistles. He's opening it with a greeting, and he's opening it with this thanksgiving and prayer. And just a moment ago, as I mentioned, Walter said the, the joy, and that we would continue to strive for that joy and that we would pray for that. This book is all about joy. And I want you to understand, Paul is writing from prison. And we're going to see in just a moment a lot of the hardships and things that Paul has experienced. Yet no matter what his circumstance, he is continuing to strive forward and have this joy. And so he's thankful to God. He's showing gratitude and affection for his partners in ministry that are at the church at Philippi. And I want you to just make note of how, no matter what he's facing, he still is able to rejoice. It's one of the reasons why we titled this sermon series, Rejoice. So with that said, let's stand together as we honor the, God, the, the reading of God's Word with Philippians chapter 1, starting in verse 1, going to verse 11. The Word of the Lord says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. There's that verse. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in my defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ through the glory and praise of God. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, Lord, I just thank you so much for today. Lord, again, Lord, we can't thank you enough that we have breath in our lungs to wake up, have another day to praise your name and worship you. So, Father, I pray, Lord, now as, as we have sang, sung these songs to you, Lord, we've cried out to you in song. Lord, now as we look at your word, Lord, I pray, God, that every distraction fades away. Lord, that we would hear from you directly right now, Lord. Lord, that you would speak to us and that you would lead us in whatever it is you have for us next. Lord, I pray, God, that you would continue to lead our church, Lord, as we move forward on this mission that you've called us to. Lord, above all else, Lord, I pray, God, that you would be glorified right here and right now, continually. We love you, Lord. We bless you in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Amen. So as I said, Paul is declaring this gratitude and his affection for his partners in ministry at Philippi. In the book of Philippians, it's all about encouragement. It's all about this joy. It's all about seeking to glorify God. And so today, with these three things that we're going to see, I want us to, to keep on that theme of joy. 
And with the first thing we'll see is that there is joy in servanthood. That there is joy in servanthood. Look again with me at verses 1 and 2. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. A lot of times we can go and read these epistles and we can very quickly read over the greeting. It can be just something we see it. Okay, that sounds very, very elementary. Okay, it's just, it's right there. He's just saying this is who we are and we're offering grace to you and we're praying for you. But there's something I want us to see in that. Because remember, Paul is writing from prison. Paul's been through a lot of stuff already. And so in this writing of this letter to Philippi, he's trying to encourage them. He's trying to remind them of joy. And look what he says there in verse 1, after he says Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. He opens this letter describing himself as a servant of Christ Jesus. When we see that word there, servant, in the Greek, it comes from the word doulos. And it's the same word that can mean slave. Paul is describing him and Timothy as slaves to Christ Jesus. Now, by worldly standards and earthly standards, we would say the word slave, it's, it's got negative connotations. Obviously, there are bad things that come with that term, given the history of our country and many other things. We don't want to hear somebody say that they are a slave to someone. But when Paul is writing this letter to the church at Philippi and these overseers and these deacons, he's letting them know, I and Timothy, we are servants. We are slaves to Christ Jesus. When it comes to that that thought that we are slaves, brothers and sisters, if we have been saved and purchased by the blood of Jesus, we should Enslaved to Christ, we should want to do whatever the master tells us to do, no matter what it is. Whatever he says to do, we say, yes, Lord, and we do it. We follow him as his servants. They are rejoicing in the fact that they are slaves to Christ Jesus. It's obviously countercultural to whatever the culture says. Our culture would hear that and would hear that we are slaves to Jesus. We are servants of Jesus. That doesn't sound appealing because that means giving up things of yourself. That means not getting things to go your way. When I read Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, and that is how Paul is addressing them from the start, my immediate thought goes to Luke 9.23. This one's not on the screen. Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, Let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. The Christian life is about self-denial. And we will find joy in that when there is self-denial. Because when we are denying self, we are saying, I'm glorifying Christ Jesus. That is my concern. That is what I want to do. And so as servants of Christ Jesus, it says from the start, he is my master. He is your master, church. So we are writing you to tell you that we are servants of his, and there is joy in that. I want to encourage you, church, if you have not looked at your relationship with Christ to saying, Lord, I am a servant of you, I want to encourage you to to stop and evaluate and say, look what Jesus has done for me. Of course I want to be his servant. Of course, I want to serve the master, the great shepherd. I want to glorify him with my life. 
He also says in this letter, within these first two verses, actually right at the end of the tail end of verse 1, he says to the church at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. You'll notice if you look through Paul's epistles, overseers and deacons, it's missed out. It's not included in any of the other letters. He specifically leaves a, leaves a greeting to the church like he does Philippi, but he also includes the overseers and deacons. And we're going to see later on in the book why he does so. There's a little bit of a disagreement amongst some within the congregation. And he's addressing that, and I believe he's including the overseers and deacons to make sure that he pinpoints this and says something that you have to resolve. So there is joy in this. There is joy in the servanthood of being a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. The second thing, verse 3, is that there is joy in thankfulness. There's joy in thankfulness. Look again at verse 3. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Now, before I continue reading, I want to make sure I point out in the Greek, you're going to see here in the English that there's commas after each of these verses. Over time, as the translators have gone on and we've, we have our English languages that are before us, these commas are added in there. These translators have gone on and they've added the verse numbers and things like that. When Paul was writing, he was just writing this letter out. So verses 3 through 6, it's a long sentence that Paul writes in the Greek. So in verse 3, though, because I want to I go verse by verse as we, as we try to do, it says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. He is telling the church of Philippi that any time they come to his mind, Paul gives thanks to God for them. And he's going to conclude in 4 through 6 why he is. But I just read that and I think about that. And I think about myself, and I think about our leaders here at this church. And I can tell you, church, honestly, when you come to my mind, I'm thankful for you. Our leadership is thankful for you. We don't take for granted what God is allowing us to do in leading you. It is a true honor and a privilege to serve the Lord Jesus Christ in the roles that he gives to us. It is a pleasure and so when we think about the congregation, when I think about the church at Holmes Avenue Baptist Church, I can see why Paul says this to the church at Philippi. And, and especially when we see 4 through 6, why? Look at 4. He says there in verse 4, Always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy. Every time I think about you, church at Philippi, I'm so thankful for you. I give God praise for it. And I'm so filled with joy because you bring me such joy. Well, why do they bring him such joy? Look at verse 5. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Paul is thankful for them. There's joy in that. And it's because of their partnership with him in the gospel. They're partners with him in the gospel. Now, I want to note something there in verse 4, real quick. He says there with joy, and, I, and I've mentioned to you that the fact that Paul's in jail, and he's writing this, and that he's been through so much. Look at this for a moment, 2 Corinthians 6, 4-5. through Paul says, But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance and afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, writings, excuse me, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger. These are just some of the things that Paul went through for the sake of glorifying God, for the sake of the gospel being proclaimed. And he's writing that to the church at Corinth, and he's telling them these things. 
But I want to point that out to you to show that no matter what Paul has been through, he still has joy. He still wants to seek to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ and proclaim the gospel to so many people. You might see that and say, well, Brian, how in the world can he be so joyful given the things that he's been through? Well, I'm glad you asked. It comes from a deeply saturated delight in Christ Jesus. Paul knows who he is. Paul knows who he is standing up for. Paul knows that he was once a killer of Christians. Yet God miraculously saved him and set him apart for what he is doing now. At the time he writes this letter. There is great, great delight in that because Paul knows that he was destined for eternal punishment separated from God, but God intervened and saved his soul and used him for a great purpose. We have our New Testament before us. And all throughout the New Testament, the majority of it is written by the Apostle Paul. God used him in that. And, and Paul saw and knows that his identity is in Christ. This is not the same joy that we get from the world. You see, because worldly joy, it's based on circumstances, is it not? If my circumstances are going well, I'm happy and I'm joyful. If my circumstances are going bad, I'm not so happy and I'm not so joyful. We just got done with Christmas time. If you spend a lot of money on your credit cards to get ready for Christmas presents to buy for loved ones, and times are tough, and you maybe are, are going paycheck to paycheck, and things are rough. Maybe you're, maybe you're hoping for a big tax return, and then it comes back, and lo and behold, you owe money or something else. You're not going to find much joy in that, are you? Your circumstance is going to dictate your reaction. That's, that's worldly, earthly joy. It's tainted by our sin. The effects of our sin blind us from true joy. True joy is found in Christ Jesus who saved us. That's where our true joy comes from. So Paul knows that and Paul says, hey, no matter how many beatings, no matter how many calamities, no matter how many hardships, no matter how much hunger I faced, I still stand on the word of God and proclaim it boldly. I pray that's the attitude for us. Now in verse 5, he says that it's because of the partnership in the gospel that he is so thankful and he's praising God for. He's referencing the fact that the Philippian church have been partners with It's not like some kind of a business relationship or something like that. It's the fact that they have come alongside of him for the sake of the gospel. He is thankful that they are partners with him in that. He's praising God for that. They see the need for obedience in their lives to glorify God because of what he's done for them. Paul loves this church. Paul loves what they have done thus far. Now in that word, their partnership, it's where we can also get the Greek word koonia, which is translated as fellowship. Now I know that we're about to go in fellowship in just a minute over some great food. But it goes deeper than that. It's not just a fellowship like we Baptists celebrate as just getting together and having a fellowship and enjoying the food and the time together. It's this deeply rooted partnership. This deeply rooted fellowship in the gospel. 
And for us, church, Holmes Avenue Baptist Church, as partners in the gospel, we must be deeply rooted. We must be standing side by side for the sake of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. As we grow in our relationship with him, as we grow spiritually as a congregation, as we go outside the walls of our building to reach the people that are far from God but close to us. And we must do the same and pray the same in ministry of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ that are in the churches that surround our community. We must be kingdom focused. And kingdom focused means that if Cooper River Baptist needs something from us, we come alongside of them and we help them. And they would do the same for us. If Friendship, if Pittman Street, if First Baptist North Charleston, any of the churches that are around us that are partners of ours in the gospel, if they need their brothers and sisters at Holmes Avenue, we say, how can we serve you? And they in turn do the same for us. It's this partnership. It's this fellowship. It's understanding that there are others around us that God has divinely placed to come alongside and help so that the mission of God can be accomplished. There's a day coming when it's the day of the Lord, when Christ Jesus returns. And when that day comes, it's done. Until that day comes, though, we must continually press forward. We must. You're going to hear that in just a few chapters in this book. We must continually press forward. Brian, there's not I understand congregation is there are elderly people in our congregation. I do. And I love you. thank you for the service that you have given to this church. And I know there might not be things that I can do like I could have done ten years ago, five years ago. But one thing I do know is that you faithfully still attend this church. One thing I do know is that you faithfully give to this church. And one thing that I would bet my last dollar on is that you pray for this church. So my prayer for you is that you would not give up and that you would continue to do what you've been doing. And I would say even do it even more if you can. And the same for us that can say, yeah, there's more that I can Whatever he's leading you to do, please, please see that he's leading you to do it and say, all right, Lord, I see the baton. I'm going to take it. I'm going to go. Let me do this. I want to encourage you. I, I say that with love and encouragement. Please. Please. If you feel that God is leading you to partner even more in some way, shape, or form, don't ignore that. Please. Maybe you, you haven't been able to do much, or you, or you are still just kind of window shopping things just to see how it goes. I'll tell you right now, there is a massive need. There are people outside the walls of our building that if they were to die right now, they would not see Jesus face to face. Because they don't know the saving grace of Jesus Christ and the blood that was shed for them at Calvary. God has called the church at Holmes Avenue and the other churches in this community to be partners in the gospel, to take this gospel message to those people that are dying and will be separated from God for all eternity. We must do it. Why not start today? We must. Look at verse 6. It's so fitting that Paul adds this verse in here. 
He says, I am sure of this, church at Philippi, I am sure of this, Holmes Avenue, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He says there this three-part. He who began a good work. That is the day of your salvation. That is the day that you walk from death into life. That is when the good work began in you. Hallelujah. And Paul is saying that that day where he began that good work, he will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. When Jesus Christ returns. He will bring it to completion. I don't know about y'all, but I'm so thankful that he will bring it to completion and it's not up to me. Because if it were up to Brian Eyre, yeah, I may be your interim pastor, but I'm a sinner just like you. Just being frank. Thank God that he has saved me and shown me his grace and mercy. Thank God for it. Because if it was up to me to complete the work, I would fail. Thank God that I have been justified by being saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. Because if it were up to me, Brian Eyre would lose his salvation. If it were up to me, every good work that I would do would still fail and fall short of the glory of God. I'm so thankful that our salvation is not based on what we can do for God to accomplish things on a list. I'm so thankful that when Jesus went to the cross and he died, he truly paid it all and it is finished. So there is a good work that God has began in us, church. If you know Christ Jesus as Lord, he has begun a good work in you and he is going to bring it to completion at the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen, hallelujah. But... But, although that is true, that doesn't mean we just get to sit back in our lawn chair with our hands back and just wait. That doesn't mean that. That means that we, in daily obedience, wake up, deny ourselves, take up our cross daily, and follow Jesus. That's what that means. That means that we must be obedient. Thank God that we have the true hope in knowing that the day of completion is coming and that we will see Jesus face to face. But there are many people that surround us that do not know that truth. And we must take it to them, partners in the gospel. Verse 7 says, it is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Paul again is bringing it back again and saying, listen, I am thankful for you. Just continually affirming his love for them. He encourages them with these kind words. These Philippians have stayed in support of Paul and they have stayed in support of the mission that God's called them to. They have been obedient. Verse 8 tells us, For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Paul takes a moment to testify and say, Church, God is my witness. I'm not just blowing smoke and just telling you things to make you feel good. God is my witness 
how I yearn for you with this affection. Of course, of course Paul would say that because God knows everything about us. He knows the affections that Paul has for him and just how much he loves them. Now, when you look at that, and it says affections of Christ Jesus, Jason C. Myers in his commentary points out that affection and Christ being linked together there, it refers back to that affection that is repeatedly said over and over in the New Testament to show Jesus' compassion to others. One, one of those in particular is found in Matthew 9.36 when he says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because he had... He's, Excuse me, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And Jesus looks out over these people, he sees them, and he sees that they are like sheep without a shepherd, and he has so much compassion for them. Paul is saying, I have the same affection for you like the Lord Christ Jesus. Such encouragement to them. Now, Paul takes a turn from this thankfulness for the church at Philippi, and he he changes it to a specific prayer for the church at Philippi. And with that said, the third thing we see is that there is joy in prayer. Joy in prayer. Look again with me at verse 9. My prayer that your love may abound more and more discernment so that you may excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Paul, again, there's another long sentence. Now, I don't have time to go in depth with this part and tell you this. I want you to jot a note down and go and look. But if you would look at the book of Philippians in chapter 1, 9 through 11, and you would go to the book of Colossians, chapter 1, 9 through 11, you see the same theme throughout those three verses. The same things that Paul is praying for the Philippians, he prays for the Colossians. It doesn't mean that Paul's taking it and just saying the same thing to give to him. He has this affection for these people that he's been called to by God. He's been called to be an overseer, a shepherd to them. He's been called to lead them and encourage them. So if you have time, go and look at Colossians 1, 9 through 11, and you can see that. But, but looking back specifically at 9, He prays that the Philippians' love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. Of course, again, we see this theme of love growing more and more in them, but notice that he's also praying for knowledge and discernment. He doesn't want the Philippians to just have love without knowledge. He wants them to grow deeper in their knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. He wants them to grow more deeply in love with him, not just by saying the things that need to be said, but truly knowing Jesus intimately. In the book of Corinthians, the first book, in 13.2, he says, If I have prophetic powers and understand all the mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith as to remove mountains, but have not love, I have nothing. There must be love and knowledge, because if there's not, It's just, it's worthless. There's no meaning to it. This love that he prays would be just so full of this deep understanding of who Jesus is. He prays that for them. I pray that you are praying that for each other. I pray that 
that God would continue to bring it upon my heart when I pray for you, that that would be what happens. That we would continue to grow so deeply in our knowledge and understanding of Jesus that our love would just overflow over and over for him. The first part of verse 10, he says, so that you may approve what is excellent. Paul indicates in the request of nine, but then he goes in to say, approve what is excellent in the first part of 10. As one is growing in love and knowledge of Christ, they will know how to live their life in the best way for God's glory. To be able to approve what is excellent. To be able to understand what is excellent? What can be used by God for his glory? Because the second part of verse 10 says, so to be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. To be pure and blameless. To intentionally pursue holiness. It's this pureness of heart internally. And blameless externally for all to see. Because here's the, here's the fact. If we are growing so deeply in our delight and our relationship with God, and we're knowing Jesus more and more and more, internally, it's formed. And externally, people will see that. Externally, people will be drawn to that. Externally, people will say, what in the world happened to you? You're not the same guy I knew in high school. You're not the same guy that was here at Christmas last year. Continually pursue and grow in our knowledge and love. Know Jesus more so we're able to approve what is excellent so that the day of Christ we may stand before him pure and blameless. Says, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. We are only able to stand before God as pure and blameless at the day of Christ Jesus because of Christ's sacrifice for us that therefore gives God the opportunity to look upon us as righteous because of what Jesus has done. Because of the saving work of Jesus on the cross, we are able to stand before God, mere sinners, not able to accomplish anything in our own regard. We're still able to stand before God and be considered righteous. Because of what Jesus has done. Thanks be to God for what Jesus has done for us. We see, when we are filled with righteousness, we see that there is this welling up, if you will, of these fruits of the Spirit that come. One of the key themes that we've seen all throughout today that I've mentioned and, and what we're going to see all throughout this book is, is joy. And that's one of the fruits of the Spirit. But listen in Galatians 5, how it says the fruits of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, 
kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. These are the things that people see externally as we are pursuing holiness internally. As we are pursuing Christ and we are growing in our relationship with Him and we're pursuing that holiness and we're denying ourselves and we're not running to sin, we're not allowing sin to to squeeze the life out of us like a cancer, but we're able to stop and say, no, I repent of that. I flee from that. Lord, I pursue holiness so I can stand before you pure and blameless. The people around us see those fruits of the Spirit and it draws them to Christ Jesus. Thank God that we can be used as vessels for Him. Thank God that people who are far from God but close to us can see what God has done and is doing in us and it draws them to Jesus. It draws them and it makes them say, what do I need to do to have what you've got. And the scripture says, repent and you shall be saved. Because our righteousness church, as I've already said, it is dependent on Christ Jesus. In just two chapters from where we are right now, Paul says in 3.9, and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Ben, you can come forward. I want to ask you, church, do you have this righteousness that comes from God that depends on faith? Do you have it? If you do, maybe you say, I, I, I don't have joy in my thankfulness. I don't have joy in my prayer. I have this going on in my life, whatever it may be. And I don't know how to be free from it. Please, come talk to me. Talk to Walter. Talk to Michael. Talk to one of our deacons. Talk to a believer in the room. And find out what exactly you must do to get that junk out of your life, whatever it is. I can tell you right now, it's going to involve the word repentance. You may be in here right now and you may say, I do not know the Lord Jesus Christ. I do not know this Jesus that went to the cross and died. And you're saying he died for me? Yes, he did. We just celebrated the birth of Christ that led to the cross where a sinless man was nailed to it and God's wrath was poured out. And that was poured out on Jesus in your place and mine. So if you don't know this Jesus... He didn't just die on that cross. He was buried and he raised to new life and he's sitting at the right hand of God whereas Romans 8.34 tells us he intercedes on behalf of the saints. And so if you need somebody to pray with you and you don't even know where to begin, come to me. Come to one of us. And we can cry out our prayers to God for you because Jesus Christ is interceding on our behalf to God the Father and he will hear our prayers. Whatever business you need to do right now, I don't even want to use the word business, whatever you need to do in regards to a relationship with Jesus Christ, whether you currently have one or you don't, now's an opportunity for you to do so. If you don't feel comfortable coming up right now, you don't have to. Pull us aside afterwards. But I want you to understand 
as we embark on this journey in this new year, as we're reading the scriptures together as a congregation, as we're studying God's word, as we're going out and we're ministering to the people that are around us, there is a wonderful opportunity for you to be a part of it here. Maybe you need to seek membership with the church. I don't know what it is. Whatever God has for you today, please, please let us know so we know how to pray for you and move forward in that. I'm going to pray and then we're going to sing. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, thank you for today. Thank you, Lord, for this church. Thank you, Lord, that they are partners with me and our leadership in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for the Apostle Paul and his life and his, his able to being able to divinely inspired by you write out the scriptures so that you could have it for us today. Father, I pray, Lord, that as we're growing in our relationship with you, Lord, or if someone here doesn't have one and they, they need to know this Jesus that has died for them, Lord, I pray, God, that they would see their need for that. Lord, I pray, Lord, as we are studying the Scriptures and we're moving forward in our relationship with you, Lord, I pray, God, that you would reveal yourself to us more and more and more and that we would be continually transformed and that we would have so much joy from that because our delight is in you. Our delight is in our identity in Christ, not by anything that the world has for us, not by anything that we think we can do for ourselves. Lord, it's only because of you. Father, I pray, God, that right now as we sing this last song, Lord, and if you're leading someone in some way, shape, or form, Lord, that they would be obedient to whatever you're leading, Lord, that they would seek one of us out to talk with us, to pray with us, to find out what they need to do next for you. Make it clear to them, Father. Above all else, Lord, may you increase, may we decrease. We love you and we bless you. In Christ's name, amen.